You know what it is? Oh, hello. <laughs> Whoever's up after me, you got to watch out for that. All right. It's funny to watch kids try to impress each other. I've noticed that uh, from watching boys smoke to impress each other, and they both think it's nasty, but they both think that the other one thinks it's funny and uh, cool and all that. And, and so they're both going to pretend that they think it's great, whereas if any one of them said, you know, this is, this is really horrible, the other one says, yeah, this is the worst idea we've ever tried. You know, they both quit and stop right there. But they, they've got to uh, impress. The other thing that people do, the little kids uh, do, is they try out new words. Um, we were in Ukraine. I, I never learned the words, you know, that you're not supposed to say in Ukraine. Uh, but I knew that my kids were out, and they pick up all the slang. And so we, we uh, one day, uh, Benjamin comes in, and he tried out a word, and it was Russian. Well, I, I knew what the word was. Uh, he said, "Blin." Well, that's if you like. That sounds like pancake, and like a blini, yeah, and that's what it means. He's like, well, it just means pancake. I'm like, well, what are you going to say in pancake for it? It's like, I, I, I bet that's something else. And, uh, and so he described, you know, he said, uh, well, it just, it's just it's, it means like, oh, that stinks or something. And I was like, uh, I better call my translator. So I called up my translator. He's like, well, it's kind of like that stinks, that's all. It's like, blini. Okay, so he's telling me the truth. It's not a, it's not a swear, whatever. But, but kids learn words, and they try out new words. And, uh, and uh, maybe they've, they've heard it in a movie. And at first, it sounds awkward when they try out their new words, right? They, they try out their slang. And uh, so last week, my friend, uh, or my son was talking about, he's, I was picking him up from school, and he's talking with his friends, and they're talking about how cracked they are at something. Like that, that, that sounds bad to me. You're cracked. Uh, something's cracked, it tends to be wrong. It's bad. I want things that are cracked. And, uh, and, and so I was, I was like, oh, that's too bad, you're cracked. I mean. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's a good thing. And uh, it means he's good at something, particularly he's good at a video game, so they're cracked at video games. I, I don't know this stuff. Like, that's stupid. You use a word that sounds bad to, to describe something that's good. And then I went back in my mind. I went back. <laughs> To be, things were deaf. You remember that? Deaf. Well, that's bad, but that was good. Or, or uh, things being wicked. Remember that? It was wicked. That was wicked. Uh, that's bad, but it's good. So, so I guess things haven't changed all that much in 30 years. Uh, but slang is just teen buzzwords. Right? They're just trying out new words. And that's what we're talking about. People try out words. They, they try out new words. And really, they're saying the same thing that have been said 30, 50, 70, 100, 300, 500, 900 years ago. And they're just using new words. And they think it's new. And they try, we try out these new words. Now, some of the ideas, as we've been going through here, are, are ideas that God says, this is a good idea to try. Something's not so good. So we're, we're going to talk about a word today that you've heard a lot about, collaboration. You've heard about that? Collaboration, what does that mean? Well, it means things you do in a group. And this is not a new one. You, you go, oh, I hate new buzzwords. Well, if you can go back and remember, if anybody remembers the 80s, if you're old enough to remember the 80s, then you remember synergy. 
Same thing. It means to do things in a group. That's all it means. Right? To coordinate in a group. Um, and so this kind of goes along with the idea of efficiency and all that stuff that we talked about last week. So we're going to apply this concept of being efficient together. That's not a new idea. Uh, Jesus had a lot, the apostles had a lot to talk about with regards to collaborating on things. Well, there we go. Let's, let's talk about empowerment for a little bit. And uh, the buzzword has faulty applications in some secular and religious circles. Um, company managers thought, if you go, again, if you can remember the 80s, this will look familiar to you. If not, maybe you're in an in a office that date hasn't been updated in, in, since the 80s, so you might see a faded picture that looks like this, but, but you will re- recognize those. Remember, anybody recognize these? Right? Okay. Everybody saw these things. This is, to, to managers, they thought this is what empowers people. Let's put a poster on the wall and this will empower people. And, uh, I specifically remember that one. Um, but, uh, and I wasn't even in an office situation, uh, in the 80s, uh, or 90s or whatever. Uh, but churches not to be outdone have done their own version of these. Right? Let, let's put posters on the, the kids' uh, youth group hall or whatever and, and motivational things. And, uh, and this is how we empower people. I can do all things and, and we motivate and, and we're excited. And there's going to be some faulty things with this as we look at the scriptures here. First um, Corinthians, uh, Paul writes this. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who came to us, or who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, you're not going to see that on a motivational poster anywhere. (laughs) Succeed, be foolish. That's not, that's not, you're not, no one's going to put that poster in a a church building. But but God says, says, I empower you by reminding you of your inabilities. That's that's my first step to to empowerment. I'm going to remind you of what you cannot do. Then we're on the road to success from there. That's what this text says. He reminds us of our inabilities. We all want to be special. I better slow down here. We're going to have to define words because if we don't understand the, the this, if we're not using the same words the same way, we'll, we'll, I'm going to distract you. Very few of us are special. By definition, I didn't say uh, very few of us are valuable. We're all, every one of us, valuable. We all have been made in the image of God. Uh, we all may be even unique from one another. Special is Leonardo da Vinci. That's special. Mozart is special. Right? Those are special people. Those are, those are 
a, a subset of humanity that, that do something at a level that impresses us because if there were no special people, I hate to quote in The Incredibles, but, you know, when everyone's super, no one will be super, right? You remember? Like, that's kind of the idea. If everyone was special, then no one would be special. We wouldn't be impressed. If everyone just came out the womb playing, you know, this concerto, then we would not be impressed by it. We're like, oh, look at you. You're doing a concerto. But we see, like, we, we, we six, six-year-olds graduating from a university. That's special. Because not all of us do that. That's what special means. Not too many people like that. And God says, you know, I didn't really... When I planned, there's just not that many people. So when, when Christ planned how to be successful, he says, i got a limited people like that to work with. And people are going to conclude that this thing is successful because of those people. That's not really where I want to go. I'm trying to draw attention to me. And to what God does. So what I'm going to do, i, I, I got to work with... Um, I've got to work with the less capable to illustrate that God can do things with less capable people. You want to be empowered? Recognize your limitations and that God uses less capable things to accomplish what he wants. We have to change how we look at value of people. It's not in your talents. That's not where your value lies. I'm not saying you're not valuable. I'm saying the exact opposite. We focus so much on the value of people, on the things that they can do. It is we who screw things up, not God. The success of the church is much greater and relies much more than the independent or the individual human ability that's not where success lies god can use the talented we're not saying god god says you're talented please stay over here on the sidelines we don't we don't need you you just watch the people with very little talent that's not what i'm saying i think god incorporates but he is not interested in self-reliance if you think you are going to be the one to accomplish and achieve, then God says, please, sit on the sidelines. Not interested in that. Now, our definition of empowerment, our definition of efficiency, and all these things is, is the opposite. Right? We've heard the phrase, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. I'm here to tell you that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Because it's worth doing. Even if you can't do it the best that it can possibly be done. Do it. Get it done. And so we start looking for the best person to do the job. That's how we think. Best person for the job. I'm not saying we shouldn't look for people to fit things that get done. Like, here's a person that's good at this. You know what? We <laughs> that's not what God is saying. But we're not... Uh... Well, I want to look at why our logic doesn't work for just a second. 
First of all, it, uh, it redefines church. So what, it, what I mean by that is church becomes about tasks. And, and church becomes about um, projects. And, and that's, I'm not saying, you know, we, we've talked about all oh, the definition of church. And we even talked about that a little bit in our class this morning. That's not what I mean uh, in terms of what the church is. We know the church is people and, 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 and it has to do with who we are, not a location. We know that. But, um, but we redefine what is important about us as the tasks that we do when we take this view of empowerment. The second thing we do is we limit our scope. Remember, we're talking about our, our visible faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so in my visible faith, as I'm trying to express to the world, the church, if I have this view of the talented doing and achieving, then who am I going to try to express my faith primarily to? The people who I view as being talented and likely to help the church succeed. Well, we, we talked about this kind of in, in our church, in, or in our, our look at the church in, in Corinth, uh, in 1 Corinthians. They kind of had this idea of, of the haves and the have-nots. And so, um, so our logic doesn't really work. Um, the next thing it does, it, uh, it removes the divine. Now, I don't know how this works, but I know it works, because God said it does. But he says, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now, don't ask me how that happens, okay? I, I'm not sure how God does that. I'm, on one hand, I don't think God forces people to become Christians. But somehow, God says, this is attributable to me, not to your wonderful ability to speak and teach and all that. So, so don't take that credit. So that neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but just God who gives the growth. I'll let God deal with the mechanics because he hasn't explained to me how he does that. So I'm not here to explain how he does that. But I know it's true. And so when we start saying, it is about me, it is about my capability and my wonderful talents, then he says, no, wait a second, I just said you were nothing. <laughs> That's harsh. But this is how God empowers. Remember, we're going to get to collaboration and how we get together in just a second. And as we talk about collaboration, the fourth thing our logic does is it segregates. On the contrary, it says the parts of the body that seem to be weak are, are indispensable. And you notice this is in, in the letter to Corinth. We're going to get to this uh, in the very next chapter for those of us in the adult class. Uh, those that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. That's the intent. And he's talking about the church body. And so he says, the point is not to separate and say, these are the haves and these aren't the people who we don't really know what they do, so we're just not going to involve them. You just watch the people who do. They're good. Let's watch them. He says, no. On, on those people we bestow the greater honor, And we dress them up. And we put them in places. And we, we incorporate them specifically 
to make sure that they feel a part of things. But that's not the way our logic, that's not the thing our, our ideas produce. That's just not the way we tend to do things. And so I want to look at why God's model works. Uh, first of all, um, I think the batteries are starting to get low here. Uh, it leads to talent discovery. There's a lot of things I did not know I could do until I did them poorly the first time. And then I did them again, and they, they got a little bit better. You know, that's, that's the process of, of human growth. And if I say, well, we only put the talented people, this is the only person that can do that because they do that. Well, I'm not going to ever find out if anybody else is good at doing that. My logic is really messed up. God says, what are you doing? That is not the way any of us became good at anything. The second thing it does is it gives you my entire outline. It shares the load. A minority of people working increases the stress on the, the few that we decide are the good at something. And pretty soon they decide they don't want to be the good at anything. So they are going to check out. That's just going to happen. We lead to relationship building. We uh, had the kids paint the hall, was it two weeks ago? We had way too many people in that hallway, I just want to say. Way too many people in that hall. I just want you to know, I, I, I used to paint as a part of my job. I worked in fire and water damage restoration, which means we went in and after a flood or after uh, a fire where they pour tons of water and we go in, rip out sheetrock and do all that stuff and came in and then, and then put it on, spackle, paint. I've done it for a job. It wouldn't take me much longer to do that by myself. Probably. You know what, though? I didn't do much. I watched people paint. I, was, I'm gonna, I taped ahead of time and did a little bit. And we had a great time. We had a great time. And that's not, I can't get that great time that we had that Sunday. If I go, oh, I know how to paint. I can't do that. There's some things that can't be replaced by putting the talented people that we think are the greatest painters in the church. There's spiritual renewal in God's logic. There's, there's always takeaways from projects. Like, ah, oh, I wasn't so great at that. And you learn and you develop and that, that's a part of things. And as it relates to our sharing of our faith with people, it's the same. We have all gone, oh man, I did not know what, I did not know how to answer that question. Everybody's been there. I'm just going to leave the three people that went to Bible college handle those questions because they must know everything. No! And what we got was largely not because we sat in a class and memorized it. 
Because you get out and you like, I memorized all these things, and then someone goes, what about this? And you're like, I didn't study that in college. We had a, I've probably told this story before, but um, uh, we had a weird church right at the end of the block where my boys, the boys' dorm was. Uh, it was this guy, he was an apostle, an elder, a pastor, he was everything. It's like, Wow. So my friend would always drag me to these churches. It was entertainment for him, and he would stir up a debate, and then he'd just step back and watch. John Harper, he was a friend of mine. And he just liked to lob grenades, and I was his grenade. And, um, and so I, I'd always come in, and I, I'm not afraid to mix it up. And, uh, and this guy wound me around and upside down. I had no answers. I knew he was wrong. I just had no answers. And so the next day, I, I'm like, I've never heard this stuff before. And I'm talking to my teacher, one of my teachers. Uh, he was, it was in the summertime, and he was coming out of the boys' dorm. So, here, you know, you see your professor. You don't expect to see your professor in paint coveralls. Uh, but here he is, uh, paint coveralls, coming out of the boys' dorm. And, uh, and he says, uh, he could, like, my face was just like, I was, like, really thinking. And he's like, oh, what's up, Andrew? And uh, I said, so I proceeded to describe the situation to him, thinking, Jerry has not even seen this. This is just so weird. And he just uh, had this smirk on his face. Just this smirk, like, you know, whatever. And he goes, just read the book of John, Andrew. That, and that's all he said. He never said, well, you got to sit down and say this, 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 and this, and this, and this. Just read the book of John, Andrew. And I did, Went back the next week, which I don't think was kind of his intent. But I was rather loaded for bear the next week. (laughs) The point being, everybody goes through this process where you develop because of failure. God, this is why God's logic works. And finally, it leaves a legacy. God's logic leaves a legacy when we include people and, and do things... Guess what? The great painters of the world are going to come to a point where they don't like to paint because they're like, my back hurts and I don't really feel like doing this on the ceiling. And There better be some painters behind. Some young painters. And there's going to come a point in time where preachers like, I really don't, my back and this, that, I can't do what I used to do. There's going to come a time where the older preachers pass away. There better be some younger preachers. But if we only say this special group of people is the group of people who do, we ain't got nobody behind us. And that is going to be a problem. So God's logic works, mine not so much. So let's talk about networking. We coordinate the abilities of a group. I went into, when I first got here, I said, ooh, that website. In fact, before I even got here, uh, I had looked at um, various places where we were going to interview, and this was one of them. And and, uh, so I kind of made little tentative plans for each place that I was visiting. It's like I looked at 
property. I actually looked at the property in which we now live. That was one of two houses in Waukesha that I could afford. So like eight or nine months before we even moved here back to the States, I was looking at the house we now live in, which is kind of weird. But I was doing the same thing in Vermont and in Cincinnati and wherever. So um, one of the things I looked at as soon as I looked at the job description, I said, I wonder what their website is. So, ooh, that's pretty rough website. I'm not a web designer. Uh, so we got here, and I went downtown uh, over by the bus terminal. There's a website design place, and I walked in. It's like, okay, let's talk about website. And I walked in, and I was thinking it was going to go a certain way. I went a different way on a number of levels, uh, one of them being at the end of the meeting, it was a $10,000 price tag, and it was like, okay, we're going to move a different direction here. Uh, but, but they came, I went in, and I thought I was going to go in, and we were going to sit down in either a, like, a, like a cubicle or what I was going to do. And I, they brought me in, said, here, have a coffee. And there's a big table, big table, and like eight people around the table and me. And that was different. They were collaborating. See, that's the way you do things now. You collaborate on a project. I just thought I was going to sit down with one person, and we are going to talk about the website and what they, we wanted the website to look like. But that's not the way it's done now. So a company, like this is the person that does the graphics design. And this is the person that does the coding for this. And this is the person that does the menus or whatever it is. Because right? they kind of want continuity of their product. They want it. So if, if I have like five people that build websites and, and I go into your place and, and Susie does this website and Johnny does the other website, they might look completely different. But if Susie does all the art for all of them and if this person does, there's gonna be, their product is, they're going to be able to pitch their product. That's why they want collaboration. I'm like, oh, this is weird. Like I've got to talk to you, then I've got to talk to you, then I've got to talk to you. This seems inefficient to me. But they're trying to achieve something. Well, <clears throat> that's networking. And for that, you pay $10,000. I see the flaws of this system because that's not the way I was raised. I was raised to be independent. I was raised to do things. I don't need somebody holding my hand and, okay, we've got to talk all the time and send shoot emails back and forth. Just give me the project. Let me do it. But God was a big, big, big collaborator long, long time before website design. By the way, I'm not sure what Hobby Lobby is doing with all their gather merchandise. I wonder if it's probably all for, you know, the last two years it's gone on 50% sale, but it's not about gathering. It is about connecting. That's what collaborating is about. It's not simply about coming to a location where we're together for a few hours or whatever. That's not what collaboration is. That's not what networking is about. It's about developing connections, much like when I went downtown. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and the more as you see the day approaching. 
It's not about just making... This, this verse has been used to browbeat people to making sure you're on the number. Were you there? We used to... I mean, I, I know we do, did it here, but I mean going way back. Someone sitting in the back with the responsibility of checking off the list. Who's here? Who's not here? And counting so that we can put the number up there. Well, so-and-so's not here this week. Now, I, I think it's good to take stock of who's not here. Say, hey, you're feeling all right? What's the deal? You know, is there, is there a reason? You know, Because you, uh, at some point you realize that someone's not been there for six months. And you're like, I wonder what happened to someone. But that focus on that number. And this verse was the one that was used. Now it does say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That is in there. But we focus on that part and we forget the why. The why is the reason that the don't forget is there. It's not about gathering. It's about connecting. That's what this passage is about. Stirring one another up to love and good works. You can come here every week and still forsake the assembly. If you're not a part of this congregation, if you're just a part of the chair beneath you, I'm going to tell you this. This is true. Now, I've got a bad memory. So I can't tell you who, and that's, that's good. But I have heard in this building... Someone come up to me and ask on more than one occasion, who is it that sits behind so-and-so? Now, if that had been a visitor there for one or two weeks, okay, that's acceptable. This is a member. I specifically remember that. I can't remember who it was, and I can't remember who it was. Or the other way around. I'm not a great member of the details. But I recall that conversation on more than one occasion. And I'm thinking... You know where they sit. Go ask them their name. Better yet, have them over for dinner. Get to know them. Do not ask me their name. I am not going to tell you. I probably don't know myself. I know who they are, though. I can tell you about them. We got that app, and I would sit there, we like, okay, you're going up to this house, and then you're going over there. Guy had an itinerary for us when we visited, and I, I downloaded the app, and I was, had Katie the whole way from, down from St. Paul. I had her quizzing me on this person and that person, and I was like, man, there's a lot of McNuts in here. And <laughs> I am never going to keep them straight. I'm just going to guess. And they all start with M. Thank you. Thank you, March. <laughs> Don't ask me their name. Get to know one another. Here's why. It's about a home. It's not about gathering. It's about connections. It's not about a house. It's about a home. 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Another passage uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 also. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, the building up itself in love. It is about home. This is the biblical portrayal of a network. It's not about talent. It's about, this may be a situation where, because we know each other, we can network uh, beyond talents. This is beyond me saying, well, this person is good at this. Now, I may know someone who's dealing with something. And I go, I know someone else who has dealt with something. I don't really understand what you're going through. But I know someone who can kind of sympathize with that. Or I can say, here's a person with a problem. And I, and I know the type of people that have answers to those types of problems. Right? And so I can network. I can point you to those people. But I can't do that unless I know you. If I go, who's that person that sits over on the other side of the room? So there's a real good chance that I don't know what they do. I, there's a good chance I don't know their backstory or what their struggles have been. Or I haven't sit down and understood anything about them. Because they're just kind of a face on the other side of the room. <clears throat> the more we are connected... The more this becomes a home and not a house. Now, I do believe that we do fairly well in this. I just want you to know that. I don't think this is, we're devastatingly horrible at this, but this is just a, a trend that humans have. The way we look and prioritize things. In the last <clears throat> passage, we talked about structure. Um, I want to talk about that as well. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus came and said to them all authorities in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age and we know what you used this verse for don't we just, just like the, the, the last just like Hebrews, we pull that out for one thing and one thing only. Make sure you're there. Got it. Make sure you got wet. Got it. That's what this is. Get wet. And that's not what he says. That's a part. That is a, a sub-point in this passage. That is a part of the mechanics of this is doing that thing. But he says, make... Disciples, that is the mission. Make disciples. That is the word math, by the way. Make learners. Make students. Go make students. He did not say bring people in so that the preacher can make students. Or the elders can make students. He said, you, be equipped. And go out. You, what we do here as a family 
is to make sure that everybody collaborates in their part of that. Because you have people you know that I will never know unless they come here. Unless you do what you do. We all have people and there's a lot of seats for them. But we need to do our part. That's networking. I want to finish with this. I've shared this some time ago. Uh, this, was, this is not original. I've borrowed this. <clears throat> Everyone is in a circle somewhere. You're in one of these circles. Now, as I describe these, I want you to think about where you're at. Okay? We have a community around us, right? If, if we think of Christ at the center of everything. Everyone is in a, a concentric circle somewhere outside of Christ. Or away from Christ a certain distance. Because none of us are that, that close that I can say I'm right there. And I've achieved perfect closeness with Christ. None of us is there. So we're, we're somewhere on this. A lot of everybody is in a community, right? Here's a church, there's a community outside of this church. Well, out of that community, there will be people that are what we call the crowd. The crowd is a little bit closer. They might be interested, they might pop in every once in a while, or, or they might come over to your house, and, and they might express some religious interest. You have some religious conversations, communications. They're a crowd. They're not really in, but they're, you know, kind of awakened in their mind. Well, out of those group of people, they, they, there's going to be a percentage that get a little closer. You notice these get smaller. These are called consumers. There will be people who attend regular. Uh, they may even become Christians. But they may not really advance much beyond that. They will be the people who just kind of come in and sit. And they're gone. They're regular sitters. Out of the consumer, they, they consume. There will be the concerned. The concerned uh, will be people who contribute in class. They, uh, they, they are more dedicated. They might come for Sunday school, too. They might even come for Wednesday, midweek. They're concerned. They're, they're into things. They might participate in some of the things that extracurricular that, that we do. They're concerned. They will be the committed. Out of the committed, these are people that I, I'm fairly sure that I can count on, like, if I look at, we're going to do something. Who can we count on to be a part of that? They're regularly a part of things. Then there will be the core. Now, of those group of people, there'll be, these will be the people that make that run. If they're not in it, we ain't doing it. <laughs> right? That's just, the, and this is, now, our tendency in this whole, this whole sermon has been about the way we weight people. Right? And, and I go, well, these core people, well, they're really, really important. That's not what we're saying. But this is just, you're in a circle somewhere. The point of Christianity, the point of this, is to get closer to the middle. 
How ideal would it be if we had a church of 80 people and they were all in the core? Well, that would be a happening place. It's just not reality. Some people physically can't. I was working in a church with a guy who had a stroke. He was a part of the core, and then he wasn't. Just what happens? You can't always be a part of the core. You simply sometimes do not have the physical capabilities to do so. But here's what you can do. And this is why everybody is important. This is why everybody is equally important. If you are the concerned, you can bring the consumer closer. Bring the consumer closer. If you are the committed, bring the the concerned closer. That's what you can do. We all have a function in getting this thing closer to Christ. And that's where I'm going to leave it.